This is Healing Through Love. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Healing Through Love. My name is Olivia Luna and I'm just a 32-year-old single woman who has never been in love before. And this podcast is my journey to find a healthy, healing, long-term monogamous relationship. Along the way, I'm going to be talking to some incredible friends, family, loved ones, and experts in the field of dating and relationships. And today I have with me Lauren Smith. Lauren is a queer mindful dating expert on a mission to help all humans date in peace and cultivate healthy relationships. She's the author of the Mindful Dating Journal, Find a Healthy Love That Lasts, and the creator of the MetaDate Journal mobile app, a mindfulness tool for modern daters. Lauren is incredible and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this talk. Um, but before we get into it, just a friendly reminder, if you are loving this podcast, please consider giving a five-star review. It really helps in extending the reach. Also, if you're able to support financially, you can become a monthly donor to the podcast. If you just head to the show notes, there's a link to support and you can select any donation amount, truly anything and everything helps. So thank you all so much for your continued support. In addition, you can also share and post about us, tag us on social media at solidarity underscore media, and you can head to solidaritymediaproductions.com to always continue the conversation. If you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, we have a poll at the bottom of each episode that you can also play along. All right, let's get into today's talk. All right. Hello, everyone. I have with me today the wonderful Lauren Smith, who is a queer mindful dating expert. Lauren, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Olivia. Thanks for joining me. Um, so let's just dive right in. Can you give us just a little bit background on, um, you know, how everything started for you and how you got to do the work that you're doing today? Sure. It all started when I got dumped at Disney World. <laughs> whoa the happiest yes. place in the world no no they didn't oh my god yeah well it, it it is happy in the long run but in the moment yeah it wasn't fun so I was with a man actually at the time mm -hmm. and I was working so hard to be the best girlfriend ever so that we could build a really meaningful connection in the future but it wasn't working out you know, how sometimes you stay in relationships that have really passed their their prime and you're just kind of forcing to make things work. That's where I was. So me and I call him Marco were in Orlando in the area. And I was like, you know what, let's go to Disney. I told my family that I was going. So my mom and sister ended up flying out to meet us in Disney World. And at this point, I was so sick of having arguments and things and conflicts with Marco that by the time my mom and sister came, I was like, I'm, I just have no energy left for him. So I was like low-key ignoring him, which didn't help. And I'm sure that made him feel really shitty. Mm. And it got to the point where me and my mom and my sister were joyfully drinking at every country in Epcot. Marco <laughs> was being like so grumpy. And I was like, obviously you're not having a great time. Like you just take one of those little ferry boat things and go back to the hotel. And eventually he did. Meanwhile, me and my mom and my sister, you know, we closed down the park. We watched the fireworks. We had, you know, living our best life. So we did the same thing. We eventually took that ferry boat back to the hotel and my mom and my sister went to their room and I went to mine and Marco's room and I opened up the door and I was like, wow weirdly clean in here like maybe he got bored and like actually cleaned up for once no he didn't clean he had just packed up all of his shit and left no sign of him no note 
And I just stood there, you know, still kind of drunk from my day of drinking in the sun. And I was like, I can't be in this room anymore. So I walked down the hall to my mom and my sister's room and I opened up the door and I'll never forget the feeling of walking in. I was just like, what is wrong with me? Why do people keep leaving me like this? Because this isn't the first time that I've just been kind of like blindsided and, and people leaving me. And the worst part about that moment is that I had to kind of accept that it was me. There was something about me and how I was showing up in love that was really setting me up for these really painful endings. And honestly, like the whole middle part wasn't hearts and rainbows either. Like it was all a struggle. I was constantly fighting, constantly, you know, really forcing a love that just wasn't there. And that's what really sparked me to do the inner work that I needed to do to become aware of what it was that I was doing that was landing me in these unfulfilling relationships. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I hear a story like that and it, it obviously sucks to like get dumped to Disney World. But then, you know, I, I love that like you you had like this support sort of around you in that immediate moment. Right. I'm sure it was very nice to have your mom and sister there. You know, I also think that in those moments and in that kind of like sort of dramatic scene, it could be very easy to just say, well, fuck love. Like, I, I guess this is never going to happen for me. That's that. But you really, you know, you really had that epiphany to just say, no, OK, I need to look at this and do the work and make the change. So I'm glad that like at least that sort of that's always the beauty of breakups, right? They teach us sort of like what else we need to keep working on. At least that's that's how I'm, you know, looking at them. Um, and honestly, as of this 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 podcast, it's a result of this breakup that I went through at the beginning of last year. And um, it was like, I either keep doing this and like continue to, you know, repeat these patterns of getting heartbroken or I sit down and I do the work with myself and just say, okay, what, what can I do? And through the work and through meeting amazing, incredible, insightful people and having that support, I was able to kind of birth this. Um, so I think that's, that's just sort of the takeaway that I'm having of just like breakups in general can be the rebirth for something beautiful and new. Um, what did you see in your, in like the, as you looked at, you know, your patterns and everything and, and you dove into the work, what were some of the things that you were learning about yourself? Oh man, it sucks to look at yourself like that. Cause I was doing a lot of things that, you know, essentially I realized I was the toxic one. Mm. The way that I was showing up was contributing to a toxic exchange. I was a people pleaser. So I wasn't ever speaking up for when, um, maybe I gave a little too much or when I was starting to feel underappreciated, I was always more concerned with keeping the peace then reconnecting with my inner peace, which means I, I never really took the time to say, oh, I have needs. I'm allowed to have needs. I'm allowed to speak up about my needs. No, that wasn't an option for me because I was caring too much about making sure that the other person's needs were met so that they wouldn't abandon me. Well, shocker, they abandoned me anyway if I'm not showing up authentic, if I'm not getting those needs met because then I get resentful and they feel judged and they feel criticized. It's um, it's a domino effect that how you show up on day one, if you continue that mindless behavior of really just wanting, in my case, to keep the peace, eventually that peace 
that's not possible because you're getting farther and farther away from yourself. So I discovered that I have many, what I call toxic dating loops. And, um, you know, I've, I've narrowed them down with the help of a therapist to these eight typical dating loops that we all tend to get stuck in. One of them is the people pleaser. Another one that I was doing was I was being the savior. I was trying to save Marco from all of his problems. Like I would swoop in and do the work that I thought he quote needed to do in order to be happy, but I don't know what he needed. You know, he, maybe he did need something, but maybe he wasn't ready to take action to change those parts. So I was really just coming in and saying, I felt like I had this power over his life, his needs, and that it was my responsibility to do those things for him. That right there is toxic. So it sucks. I I literally had to be like, wow, Lauren, you are messed up. You've got to get a, a, a grip on your true responsibilities, which was taking responsibility for my needs, my problems, the way that I'm showing up, my lack of communication. Those are all skills I didn't have. Mm. So I had to, I had to learn them the hard way. <laughs> I mean, you just popped me right in the chest there with that one. Oh my God. That question of, wait, am I the toxic one? Oh my gosh. Cause every, I, I get stuck in similar loops, the people pleasing, the savior, the like fixer in the relationship. And you would think like outwardly those, those would be good traits, right? Like somebody who doesn't want to cause drama and wants to help. But no, if, if you, if you're in a situation where you're with somebody who doesn't want any of those things and like doesn't need you to like fix them or whatever, then yeah, you do become the toxic person when you're adamantly just trying to engage in that kind of character. Um, wow. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> I think I'm the yeah, toxic one. <laughs> too. I think in some way we all are right. Nobody yes. is perfect. And I think that part of my healing was recognizing that there is such a thing as unhealthy helping. You might think that you're helping someone, but you're actually stopping them from helping themselves. So it was about me learning to just be a partner that shows up, that validates, that holds space for someone else without depriving them of the lessons and opportunities for their own growth. And helping ourselves like then, cause then I would like prioritize what they, like you said, they need their help, like fixing them. And then everything, meanwhile, I'm burnt out. I'm like not giving myself what I need. So mm -hmm. shut up and do your own work, Olivia. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. um, that's incredible. And so how did you get into being a dating expert in particular? Well, I've been processing these emotions ever since getting dumped at Disney World. And luckily, it was around the time when COVID started to lock us all in our homes. So I had the perfect storm of being able to really dive into myself and to be forced to sit with those lessons. When things don't feel good, we want to numb, we want to distract. But I had no outlet. I had to just sit in my quarantine space and start to really process these things. That's when I ended up working with that therapist that I mentioned. I ended up writing a book. I started a podcast, but mostly what I did was I came back to my authentic self after Marco broke up with me. And I had that moment of like, okay, it's me. I was putting someone else's needs first. I was able to dive into that a little bit deeper and say, where else in my life 
have I been pushing my desires down? And that's when I finally allowed my needs to blossom. It's when I realized that I don't want to be swiping for men. I want to be swiping for women. And I started going on dates with women. And I realized that I wasn't really even attracted to these men that I was forcing myself to have relationships with. Because I was just my whole life trying to be the perfect daughter, the perfect girlfriend, you know, straight A student, working so hard to keep everyone's opinions of me at that A plus level. Meanwhile, I was betraying myself the whole time. I wasn't really being me. And when I wasn't showing up as me and someone said that they loved me back, I didn't believe them because they didn't know who, they don't know who I am. I'm not even showing them. So it's just this terrible cycle of inauthenticity that leads to, um, doesn't lead to your heart getting its deepest desires. So it was like when I came out as queer, it was like I popped the lid off of how I was showing up in the world. I was literally coming out to everything, every bit of potential that this world could possibly have to me, for me, because I finally said, I am allowed to get what I want. Oh, so freeing. Congrats. Congrats. I just want to be like, congratulations. Like you're here. Um, I love that. And yeah, I, I feel like we in, in society and particularly like in wellness and healing, we talk a lot about authentic self, right? Like finding your authentic self. And for a long time, I was like, well, what the, what does that mean? Like what, I feel like I am being myself. I think I'm, I'm like myself. Um, but really, yeah, I, I recognize that like there were parts of me that I was, um, hiding or guarding because I didn't think it was appropriate. I didn't think it was, uh, feminine enough. I didn't think it was all of these things, right? Like we just kind of suddenly start to, um, examine what, what we're, keeping from other people because, you know, we, we question whether it's valid in this world. We're questioning like our own validity at the, I think at that point. Um, so yeah, can you, I don't know, can you help us define a little bit more about like authentic self and like what that means for someone? Mm -hmm. I think that the, the main thing that comes up for me when thinking about authenticity and how a lot of us struggle to, to embody our authentic selves is that we're avoiding feelings of shame and rejection from everybody else. And that's just something that we learn from childhood, from our teachers, from shows that we watch, books that we read, this idea that it's not safe in some way for us to be ourselves, that in order to be loved and accepted, we have to change into something that's acceptable to other people. What I've done though, is that I've figured out a way through all of these things that I've gone through, all these lessons, all the books that I've read to embody what I call authentic peace. Mm. To me, there's something about using the words authentic peace over authentic self, because I am who I am. I am being myself when I'm, you know, all the time. But when I use the word peace instead, it helps me to see that my authentic quote self is peaceful. My authentic being this soul that's in a skin bag <laughs> is is really just a bunch of emotions it's really just my consciousness and who i am deserves to be at peace and by hiding that part of me the per the person that that i truly am on a deep level 
that's taking me farther away from peace. So putting these words together, saying I live my authentic peace has actually been so healing for me because I have now have this baseline thing where I can say I am worthy of peace and that helps me to put my needs first. It helps me to stand up for my needs. It helps me to say no to things that aren't going to bring me peace. And ultimately, it's just like you can't not be your quote authentic self if you are not in authentic peace. Olivia, clip that because I need to replay that over and over and over again. That is it. Oh my gosh, Lauren. Like, yeah. And I, I, I feel like I was just talking about this with somebody too, where I realized like I don't live in a state of peace normally. I'm like constantly go, go, go. I, I attract these kind of up and down traumatic roller coaster relationships because peace, stillness, relaxation has never felt like appropriate or right for me right like I live in New York so it's a it's a hustle just living here but then also um you know in my childhood we moved around a lot like it was a very chaotic kind of just environment to kind of grow up in and realizing that uh, just being still and present with myself was so hard like that like the authentic peace is what I need to be aiming for because that's when I am really able to just like like feel the feel like I'm being my true self but really feeling like I can be just open to anything and everything when I'm just at peace and just in this kind of relaxed centered calm kind of mindset um stealing that I'm totally (laughs) getting a tattoo it's so it's so healing to make your own peace your number one priority and I think the, the flip side of the coin is that my whole life, and perhaps a lot of us, have been forcing peace. Mm. What you were just explaining is like when you have inner peace, you're in a state of allowing. You're saying like, I am here. I'm just, I'm just being present for the world. I'm feeling safe enough to open myself up to just be present. But what we've probably been doing, you know, growing up as people pleasers or growing up just being stressed all the time and trying to keep everybody else happy, that's forced peace. We've been working our asses off to try to manufacture peace with how we connect with others. But that's not where peace comes from. Peace comes from the connection that you have to your authentic self. Mm. Taking that. Ah, uh, that'll be my work for this for this week, like finding authentic peace. Um, can you share a little bit of some of the practices or techniques that you worked uh, specifically with your clients around? Sure. So I actually don't have clients. I am just an author and a storyteller, and I love to just share my lessons because I have gotcha. plenty of them that that yeah. were hard lessons. So I just want to be able to save you all hardships in your life. But some of the strategies that I've figured out that work for me over the years is um, I have a three-step plan to just get through the typical behaviors that we would take while dating or while trying to connect with someone new to get through those toxic things that we used to do and to choose healthy ones instead, to choose that authentic piece instead. It's really simple. Like I said, it's only three steps. The first step is arguably the most important. It involves you just simply pausing to notice that you're doing it again. You're doing that thing that isn't helping. Time out. 
just take a pause. You have to really train your brain to be observing your behavior and even to, to notice that that's coming up. So this is all about mindfulness, mindfulness practice of really just noticing what you're doing without judging it. You know, we're not trying to change it or tell ourselves that we're bad for doing it again. No, we're just like, oh, I see it. I see what I'm doing here. That's step one. Step two is to investigate in this pause place. Just be really objective, like you're a detective, gather all the data, ask yourself things like, what, was there a trigger that made me want to take this default behavior? When I've done this in the past, does it actually get me what I want? What am I really needing here? You know, if, if I'm taking this behavior and it doesn't get me what I want, what is it that I want and what behavior can I choose instead? Just getting all of your options. You might choose that after all of that investigation, you still want to take your default response, which is fine. You know, my, for example, this might be me going out on a date with a guy or a girl and they don't have a job. That's probably going to trigger the savior in me. That's like, oh, I'll take care of them. We're, they'll get a job eventually. Everything's going to be sunshine and roses in the future. That's, that's my default choice of wanting to go out on another date with that person after learning that they don't have a job. And, you know, there might be some people out there that don't have a job that aren't going to trigger the savior. I'm not saying that you're a bad person or whatever, if you're temporarily jobless, please don't take that the wrong way. Just trying to illustrate that when things come up, there's a crossroads. You can choose to do what you've always done, or I can choose, Hey, that's actually not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for somebody that's really ambitious, that that has a job, that has a, their own money, that I'm not going to feel like I need to swoop in and save. Um, that's that's the investigation stage, though, is saying, what are my options here? What are those crossroads? And maybe there's a bunch of choices, you know, maybe it doesn't even, it really doesn't have anything to do with the date, right? It's all in me. Am I, do I feel like I can be with this person and not be triggered? Do I feel like I can communicate if I am going to be triggered, you know? I don't want to put your happiness on someone else. Once you have all that data, then you can go into what I call wise mind, which actually is not something that I made up. It's from a type of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy for all of my therapy dorks out there. And it's this idea of bringing in your emotions for all the good data that they offer, and then tag teaming with the logical part of your brain. So many times when we date, we're only using one side of our brain to make decisions, and that will lead us to take the wrong path. Well, there's no real wrong path, but perhaps not the path that's going to really bring us to what we desire. So this concept of wise mind in step three is making sure that you look at all your emotional data. How do I feel when I'm with them? Um, do, am I physically attracted to this person? Um, is my heart telling me that I'm scared or is my heart telling me, hell yes. All that stuff is in like one circle of a Venn diagram. And the other circle is all the logic. Does this person have conflicting values? Do they also want kids? Do I feel like this person will be good for me long-term to grow with? Are they a good communicator? Whatever it is. Like this is where your checklist comes in. You know, a lot of people have dating checklists and they like, they want all of these things. So you want to check them off. Well, this is where I primarily was when I was dating those men that I wasn't attracted to. Does this person make me look good? Do I feel like this person has like, um, you know, a good job or whatever, like these superficial things 
that some of them are very important to finding a long-term partner, but I wasn't paying attention to how my emotions were coming in. Emotionally, I wasn't connected to these people. Emotionally, I didn't feel safe around these men. I wasn't attracted to them. That's a huge part, right? So there was no middle ground of alignment. If you want to live a life of authentic peace, you have to make decisions from that aligned place where you're bringing everything about you to the forefront and making a choice based on how they all flow together for you, for your best life, for your highest potential. Just so important when you date, you know, you got to make good decisions. You're bringing these people into your life that could potentially be with you for years. Yeah. We don't want some, I don't know, some, some, some very dangerous people, you know, out there that could, yeah, could really cause some damage. So be mindful and even for ourselves too, like, uh, I think, you know, you might even be with the right person, but it could be the wrong time for you. And are like, have you done enough work to be able to, you know, not self-sabotage this like great relationship, which I feel like sometimes I can get fall into the trap of, of like, you know maybe overthinking and overanalyzing to the point of like, well, let me find something wrong with this person so I can like end the relationship, but really like take your time. I think, I think the lesson of hearing, you know, how much actual work goes into us is, is telling me like, I need to go slow. I cannot just, you know, jump head in heart first, you know, into this person before I've even sat down and really processed what am I feeling? What am I thinking? Like, how does this align? Right. Um, I know in your profile, you talked a little bit about like surviving the honeymoon phase of like, okay, everything's good. They check my list. This is going great. And then, you know, things start to fizzle down. It's not as hot and heavy. Do you have any tips on like overcoming that? Yeah, I think that that is one of the, the things that we typically get out of balance the easiest in is the honeymoon phase. So when you're in that early phase of a relationship where just anything you do with this person is like perfect, you're thinking about them all the time, you just want to be with them. There is like a pleasure cocktail of chemicals that's going off in your brain. These feel-good chemicals are off the charts during the honeymoon phase, and they're changing your brain chemistry so that when you are with them, it's like best thing ever. It literally feels great. It's like you're on a high. And when you leave them, those chemicals crash, and it wants you to have your next dose. Like you're physically craving to be with them again. You can imagine how this is confusing for us on a physical level and on an emotional level. It's making our emotions go haywire. We really can't trust our emotions. Like you can, you still want to get data from them, but you can't make a decision from emotions alone in the honeymoon phase because you're just going to be like, this feels so good. It can't be wrong. Well, honey, it could be wrong. You got to look at it. <laughs> so that's how you survive the honeymoon phase is use that last step that I just told you of balancing the logic and the emotions by asking yourself a series of very specific questions. Like, I know we're all in the back of our mind looking out for red flags. Chances are though, we miss them repeatedly. So it's, it's asking questions of yourself like that after a date, really forcing yourself to be like, let me get real now that I'm not with this person. Are there red flags? Are there green flags? 
what body sensations came up with this person? Did they feel good? Did they feel bad? Well, if they felt bad, what is my body possibly trying to tell me? What thoughts came up? Were those thoughts fears? Were those thoughts fantasies, which could also be dangerous? And like, what's going on overall, my gut instincts? These seem like really simple questions, but it's so important to carve out the time to be with yourself, to answer these questions within like 24 hours of that date. If you don't, you're probably going to miss something. And that's going to lead you to go back in the same default path. Being after a date and journaling like this really forces you to get into step one, that pause place so that you can be like, okay, let me take a good hard look at my choices here and make sure that I'm not going down that fork in the road that always leads me to pain. I'm going to choose something different now. So that's why I made the mindful dating journal. It has all those questions in that book. So you can go out on a date and come home and reflect in the journal and make sure that this time you're going to catch any of that self-sabotaging behavior as early as possible and re-align uh, to a better path. I love that. I'm going to get that journal because um, I, I, I just I normally just love journaling just for myself, um, you know, just day to day. But um, I didn't really think about like doing it like right after a date, and like really processing. OK, how do I feel? How do I you know what's going on there? Um, I've learned definitely, as you said, like really taking the time after a date, not immediately like seeing each other again right away, like give yourself that space and time to like come down a little bit, decompress, you know, let the hormones sort of settle for a second and like, yeah, really kind of rewind and, and look back at the date and see how you, were you, were you relaxed the whole time? Were you in your authentic peace for the most part? Or was there something else going on there? Um, so definitely going to check out that journal. I strongly recommend everybody find the mindful dating journal. Um, really quickly, I also see that you developed an app. Is that the same journal? Just it is. App? It's the same questions. Yeah. Um, I made it mainly for me because I freaking love mobile apps. They make my life yeah. so much easier. So this version of the book is completely free. It's called the Metadate Journal, and you can find it in both the Apple and Google Play stores. And it's essentially um, a super easy mindfulness tool. You can go out on the date and like, you could even do it in the car, in the parking lot, after your coffee date or whatever. Fresh, fresh and information. <laughs> exactly. And it just keeps it super simple. It asks you all like a lot of the same questions that I just mentioned here, um, but it tracks it for you. And I think that's something that's really beautiful about keeping a log of your dates because you can go back in and say, oh, wow, that's funny. I used to think that, finding somebody that liked hiking was like a really important thing to me. And now I'm realizing after looking back on all the trends from these people that it turns out that hiking really didn't mean that much. Like, sure, it was a bonus if they liked to hike, but that's not actually something that I need. And mm. in the process of going through um, all of these dates and reflecting with yourself, you can also start to get used to like, what does a good date feel like in my body? What thoughts come up in my head when I'm not liking the person. Like it really just helps you to, to log yourself, to get in touch with your patterns and understanding the way that your body communicates with you. That's such a great idea. And yeah, right on your phone, like you said, as soon as it's over, I can go and, 
you know, put it in there. That's I'm th- downloading it right after this call. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Lauren, this has been really, really insightful, really incredible. Um, can you let people know where they can find you? How can they stay uh, in, in contact? Well, thank you, Olivia. It's been my pleasure to have this conversation with you. Um, I am so active on Instagram and it's where I would love to form a connection with all of you and get to know what you're struggling with. You can find me at Metadate, M-E-T-T-A-D-A-T-E. Lovely. Well, thank you so much again for talking with me today. Really appreciate you. Oh, thank you, Olivia. Thank you all so much for joining me for another episode of Healing Through Love. You can find links on how to get in contact with today's guest in the show notes. So head on over there, continue the conversation. Be sure to follow, get notified about the next episode, and I will talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.